And good afternoon, six minutes after four o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. Aliyah Varani is with us today. Aliyah, you are set to go. I am set to go. Hopefully the listeners are set to go as well. Here is how you have your say and chime in this afternoon. Simple, 604-280-9898. That is to call the radio station now. It is a live call-in show. Your contributions are what we look for. You have questions about your employment, severance being laid off, uh, something wrong, Inside the workplace, you've been harassed, workplace harassment, dealing with COVID-19, everything like that. Give us a call. You want to get some information. If only but for a quick phone call, I can make you that much smarter when it comes to workplace rights. 604-280-9898 is the way to do that. We take emails as well. We'll get to a bunch of those. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I'll mention a website that is free for you to use anytime. It's like having Leah in your pocket all the time. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You'll remember the severance pay calculator from years ago. It's a beauty. Literally hundreds of thousands of people have used a severance pay calculator and been enlightened by it. Well, that is part of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You'll find the severance pay calculator there. As well, uh, all kinds of information when it comes to your job. Uh, Are you a contractor? Are you a possible full-time employee have you been harassed at work there's even a section on disability rights by the way so anytime you want to use that go ahead and do so i want to get to this uh in just a couple minutes human rights violations in the workplace we'll do that uh first the week that was uh, how's your week been oh thanks john well it it's been a very busy time um mm. you know as you said the purpose of going through my week that was is to discuss some of the popular employment issues that I'm seeing cropping up because chances are if it's happening to a few people, it's happening to a lot of people. And maybe not everybody has a chance to get legal advice or time to seek that out. Or maybe they're simply aware that they have a problem, but they don't know that they have legal rights to do something about the situation. So uh, a big thing for me the past couple of weeks has been there's a bit of a spotlight on bullying and harassment in the workplace, as you had mentioned. I know our firm has received a number of media requests to comment on uh, the story about our now former Governor General, Julie Payette, as she recently announced her resignation um, in the midst of those allegations of bullying and harassment. And so um, as a result, I think people are becoming more curious about, you know, what is a toxic workplace? What is a poison work environment? And what can I do about it? So this is such an important topic because there's just so many people, uh, employees out there that may not be aware that they have rights in the situation or that there is something going on that's legally wrong, not just that it feels wrong uh, and they need to put up with it. Um, and so um, the bottom line is if bullying and harassment is going on in the workplace, they, they don't have to accept it. Right. And harassment does not have to be discriminatory for that to be the case. You want to call in, get a hold of, of uh, Aaliyah right now. Oh, sorry, Aaliyah, didn't mean to walk over. You got a bit of a delay from your end to my end. Uh, 604-280-9898 to, uh, to call us here at the radio station now. Sorry, go ahead. Continue. No, no, that's that's perfect. I would love to hear people's questions about this because I think that the the conception is that I hear from a lot of people, especially before a lot of the the provincial and federal laws were updated, is that it has to be, you know, harassment has to be discriminatory or violent um, in order for an employee to have rights and options to do something about it. But that's not the case. Want to get to, uh, sorry, uh, 
<laughs> it's funny because you got a bit of a delay on your end in the broadcast because we're both at home, so we can't do this in the station because of COVID-19. So Aliyah's on one broadcast channel. I'm on another broadcast channel. So it's kind of like it's like World War II. We're kind of going back and forth over the English Channel. But we're not there. We're actually <laughs> in Vancouver. But anyway, continue. Let me know when you're done. I'll get into the, uh, get into the prep. But carry on. <laughs> Yeah, so I was just going to say, you know, bullying and harassment can be something like a poisoned work environment that makes it impossible for someone to do their job. And uh, what I mean when I say poisoned work environment, it's it's usually applied in circumstances where the workplace has become toxic because of pervasive harassment and bullying. And this could be something like comments from your boss, like you never do anything right, or a supervisor berating an employee until they break down in tears, or repeated unwarranted rude remarks like using an inappropriate or offensive nickname. Those are some examples I think that I've seen. Um, and I think it's just really important for employees to know that they actually have legal protection against that type of behavior, uh, whether that comes from a colleague or um, I think what's more more often recognized is that if it comes from an employer or supervisor, I think your you know their ears prick up and go, okay, this isn't appropriate. But even if it's happening, you know, colleague to colleague, there's still something that that you should you know, that you can do to get uh, proper treatment so that you feel safe and able to do your work properly. So in a situation where this improper behavior is coming from a colleague, for example, it's going to be very important for the person experiencing the bullying to tell someone higher up and bring it to their employer's attention and bring it to someone's attention. And that's going to be a common theme for all of these types of issues in order to get them you know, properly addressed. That's, that's really the first thing that employees need to do. Want to get to uh, a lot more here. We're going to be talking human rights violations in the workplace. You have plenty of time to call in, ask Aliyah a question. That number is 604-280-9898. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Got a few of those coming in already. We'll get to it at a later part of the show. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, getting through some of the notes we have, Aliyah, here for tonight. Human rights code. We hear that all the time. The human rights code. What does that actually do? What's its function? Yeah, so the Human Rights Code, is a, it's a set of laws, it's a statute. E- each province has their own version, and there's one that operates for all of Canada. And it's the set of laws that gives everybody equal rights and opportunities without discrimination in areas such as, you know, their job, housing, and services. And so uh, the Human Rights Code of BC, their, that it, its goal is to prevent discrimination and harassment because of, you know, on one of the basis of protected grounds that it covers. And that includes somebody's race, their disability, their age, but, but there's really a number of grounds, um, including in BC, for example, it varies province to province. But, uh, you know, one of them that's maybe less common that people don't, are, are not aware of is a free from discrimination on the basis of previous criminal convic- convictions unrelated to, you know, the issue at hand. So it, it's important that people maybe review that and see if they're, you know, make sure that they're familiar with those protected grounds because they may have rights that they're just not aware, um, you know, are covered under that. Uh, covered under the code. I know you uh, you did mention some a uh, few minutes ago about its violations. I mean, I remember we've uh, we've discussed in past shows with Leah and with Leora as well. There's been instances where people have come to uh, to you guys at the firm and said, you know, it, it, it's nobody's coming to my face and, and and harassing me, but I got a colleague who just keeps sending me just bad pictures and links to websites that a I don't want on my browser and b I find it offensive they can't be doing it does something like that which most people would just shrug off does that qualify as a human rights violation if it's taken serious by the person who's receiving it yeah so that that could be one of those situations where it comes up because you know I think previously there's now a spotlight 
that be, that's being shown on bullying and harassment in general. But I think a more nefarious type of bullying and harassment is if it's based on one of those protected grounds under the code. So in your example, if somebody is being sent inappropriate links or comments through, you know, like your workplace email, and there's kind of like a racial tinge, or it's based on, you know, teasing someone because maybe they're a little bit older and they can't, you know, navigate the technology as well, then that's when you would start to see, um, you know, a, potential discrimination or, or an issue with the, with the human rights code, especially if it were to come from an employer, that would not be, you know, that type of harassment would be discriminatory and certainly not appropriate and have, you know, a whole other element to it that could entitle that yeah. employee to human rights damages. Above the uh, ones you've already mentioned already, what would be some other common human rights violations in the workplace? So before COVID, um, I would say that the most common one that would come across my desk is issues in an employment context with disability or illness. And what that would look like is someone perhaps needing time off, an employee needing time off to recover from an illness with a recommendation from their doctor. And instead of giving them their accommodation that they need or just the time off with a medically supported leave, perhaps their employer terminates them. So now um, they've, they've got some issues there with respect to did you discriminate against this employee because they have an illness or injury and, and terminate them for that reason? And that's not that's not appropriate. That would be a breach of that employee's um, protected, one of the protected grounds under the code. Now, the other situation where I see this happen a lot in the context of an illness or a disability is, say an employee um, is now ready to return to work after their uh, medically supported leave of absence ends, and when they return, they may have some accommodations they need to perform their job. Maybe they need like a special chair or they need to take a couple of extra breaks in the day to um, rest their injured body part or whatever it happens to be. Um, and their employer perhaps refuses to do that for them. Or if their employer starts messing around with their responsibilities or their shifts, because they, they require that accommodation, that would be a failure to accommodate that employee's right. illness or disability, and that would also be improper. And in the meantime, Ali and myself talking about uh, human rights violations in the workplace. If an employer has to provide accommodation to an employee, when is it too much? This is also a very important concept. So it's this is a very high bar. It's not mm -hmm. just an employer saying, you know, you don't, they don't feel like doing it. So in a situation like, like we discussed just before the break where, you know, an employee is getting ready to come back to work and they maybe request their employer, you know, I'd like to have this special chair that supports my back or something. And the employer just, you know, say if the employer in that situation were to say, well, it's kind of expensive. I don't really want to do this. I don't want to like go, you know, I prefer not having to buy this chair. That's not the, that's not the level that they have to meet. The level of accommodation that the employer has to provide here is to, and it's a legal term, it's called to the to the point of undue hardship. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, they have to do it unless that accommodation requested would be a huge change to the nature or operation of the business. Again, 604-280-9898 is, uh, is where you want to go. Where does harassment fit in when it comes to human rights in the workplace as well? Because I, I can see there being a lot of confusion when it comes to this, Aaliyah. Exactly. And we, we kind of touched on this before, but harassment can occur in the workplace for a number of reasons. And I think in, in the, the stories that we've been hearing with, 
with the, our former governor general, that was just mm-hmm. seems like a general toxic workplace or, or just bullying that was going on in a poison work environment. And, and then you raise that example, like what happens if somebody is sending, you know, inappropriate links? Uh, I think that that's one of the situations where um, if any of that bullying and harassment is based on one of those protected grounds under the code that, that uh, we were discussing, that's when it uh, it starts to look like it could be a breach of somebody's human rights under the code. And so that's why it's very important for people to make sure that they're aware of, of that section that outlines the protected grounds and they're aware where they may fall under one of those protected grounds to see if, you know, is this just regular bullying, which is still not appropriate, or is this, this bullying that kind of um, falls under another category of, of impropriety that would allow them to essentially have different types of legal remedies. I think that's why it's important is because it allows you to have different avenues to address those concerns of uh, bullying and harassment. Again, the number of the video, this is Pete, your interest, or you have questions in this regard, or any other for that matter. It doesn't matter as long as it's employment law. We, uh, we cover everything here on the show. Every Sunday afternoon, 604-280-9898, the number help at employmentlawyer.ca. So if employees, after listening to this or doing a bit of their own soul searching, they feel that they've uh, their human rights have been violated, maybe some workplace harassment, what should they do next? Yeah, so the first thing they should do, any employee in this situation, they should document the issue. Um, if their work has an HR department, which would be ideal, or if they have a supervisor that isn't the one causing the issue, the employee should should make a formal complaint. Unfortunately, that's uh, what we're seeing is that sometimes companies don't have the right type of system for employees to feel safe to make those complaints, and they do have options uh, in those circumstances. They can turn to WorkSafe um, BC legislation and and make a complaint with an, investiga- an investigator there who will you know, look to see if the employer has the appropriate type of bullying and har- anti-bullying and harassment policy, and if they've dealt with those concerns properly. But but if you do have an HR department, or if you do have somebody that's, you know, a supervisor that you feel comfortable bringing that concern to, you need to tell them. And then, um, you know, make sure that you have this well set out so that you remember what happened because sometimes in the heat of the moment it can be quite emotional you don't uh, take the time to write down what what occurred memories get hazy it's always important to have some sort of maybe email or written record of what's been going on and then you know if nothing especially if nothing's done to address the issue and if they're not getting anywhere with say a WorkSafe bc complaint um, if there's not an appropriate mechanism within the company to address those concerns then they can make a BC Human Rights Tribunal complaint. And uh, you don't need a lawyer to do this, but uh, uh, you know, I would recommend that, that they at least consult counsel and, and, and have some help in drafting this because uh, the reason why is you're just gonna have a lot better chance of your claim being successful. So sometimes I'll have, say a client or someone who comes to me after they've started a claim and I always have to redraft it because uh, you know, even though there may be legitimate issues going on, if the claim's not done correctly, then you don't want to have your your complaint dismissed uh, or not get the remedies that you want, and you you may want to you know get some advice about what you can actually seek there uh, in the BC Human Rights Tribunal because they have a number of different things that they can award that are slightly different um, than our court system and can can be really beneficial for these these types of situations. And that could include you know uh, a, a formal apology. It could include 
a requirement that their employer goes through sensitivity training and um, you know a couple of other options that just are not typically available for employees. You ever come across these situation when it's you know when if it's a harassment case and it'll fall under human rights and and what we've talked about uh, so far. What if it's a case where the person you would normally your supervisor, your boss, your manager, whoever is above you, the one you're supposed to report to, is the one that's doing the harassing? I mean, most people that that might be enough just to wrongly shut them up, and they don't want to go any further because it's a boss, right? So, what do you do in that case? Yes, that's a perfect example of you know why I think a lot of these issues are not you know people don't feel comfortable coming forward. But so there is a mechanism though, and I think that especially during the time of COVID, what I can recommend that every employee do is really familiarize themselves with WorkSafe BC um, uh, law and the options that they have under the WorkSafe regime. Because, um, you know, say their employer is not taking reasonable step, uh, reasonable steps to ad- address that bullying and harassment or they can't go to them, then they can call that there's a prevention information line through WorkSafe where they can contact an officer to discuss the incident and what's been going on. And so if that, you know, if they're not getting anywhere with their employer, essentially, they can submit what's known as a bullying and harassment questionnaire so that WorkSafe can complete their inquiry into the situation. And then, you know, through this inquiry, what WorkSafe can do is they can ensure that, you know, that the employer has that adequate policy and procedure. And if it's, you know, a situation where the per- the only person that employees can report to is this one, t- you know, kind of like a tyrant-like employer, then that's not going to be appropriate and that's not going to meet the requirements that that employer has to follow under WorkSafe uh, BC law. And so, um, you know, if there's nothing that's done to fix this, then there are consequences to the employers, particularly if it results in, you know, mental distress to the employee. They can be entitled to compensation, for example, under that WorkSafe regime. And if they're worried about retaliation, there's also um, anti-retaliation rules under WorkSafe BC legislation. I think in reality, there's nothing that we can prevent people from doing, you know, wrong things, but there is a system to address it if it happens. So so I think that that's the best thing I can say about that. Maybe not the most satisfactory thing. You can't prevent people no, from... No, it's cool. Yeah. Afternoon, if you want to reach... Aliyah, outside the show, that's uh, no problem. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and 604-283-3123. Again, reminder, you can always use pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Fantastic website, all employment law based, absolutely free and anonymous. But there is a contact button at the top right if you uh, so choose to, uh, to use that. How to preserve your workplace rights. First one is this, Aliyah. Don't quit unless it's completely voluntary. Voluntary is the key word in that entire thing, right? Exactly. So uh, this is very important. And um, it's an issue I actually recently came across in my work. I I spoke with a gentleman that had been working for a company, you know, for a really long time, about 30 years or so. Mm. And as he started to get into his 60s, his employer started asking him, you know, what are your plans for retirement? And they kept on him about this question, you know, which is also not appropriate. We we're just talking about one of those protected grounds. That's the age is a protected ground under the human rights code. And, um, you know, this coupled with this particular employee's memory of someone who kind of left the company on bad terms and was escorted out. They thought, you know, well, I should, I should just resign rather than have my employer fire me. Oh. Um, the problem is here though, is that when you resign, you don't, you don't get any severance. So that's a significant entitlement that you're giving up 
by resigning rather than letting things flow naturally and ending your employment, you know, when they think it's time, you know, to maybe to let you go. And it's a lot harder to prove that you were pressured into resigning than if, you know, hopefully anyone who's listening right now knew that no one can force you to do this in the first place. So it's, it's important that everyone know that their resignation has to be, you know, completely your decision without any pressure. Yeah, I think, I think you've said that before, and Lee and Leora said it, it's got to be done voluntary and, voluntarily and unilaterally by uh, by you and you yourself. I, I guess that maybe the one piece of protection you can, I mean, because we've always heard that case of, you know, I'll expect your resignation on my desk this afternoon at four, which again, you're not resigning, you're being canned, but just in different words. I mean, the, the one thing I think we've talked about before that, to your point that it's hard to prove, maybe to buffer that possibly is sending a quick email saying, yeah, okay, George, I understand that you told me you wanted my uh, resignation on your desk by four, blah, blah, and send that away. Would that give you a little bit of uh, security if it all came down to a he said, he said type of thing? That's a perfect recommendation and one that I make in the context of my consultations with people very often, um, especially where there is a situation where you never want someone else's version of events to be the story that's told when you know that that's not the case. So there's nothing that prevents someone from, for an employee in this situation to say, you know, your conversation this afternoon, um, if they say, for example, cannot make a formal complaint to someone that's impartial, sending it if they feel, you know, if they can to their employer saying, you know, this morning you spoke to me about this, this, and this, I thought that this was inappropriate or, or just, you know, restating what happened in a, plain language way with without emotion that's perfectly acceptable way to to record the events as they actually happened and protect their rights it doesn't matter if you do not get a response from that email from whoever you're sending to or is it a case of silence is the same as acceptance that that's fine if they don't respond you know even if they don't respond and you don't get a response to that it still is very important and helpful for showing that you know, some a conversation happened the way that it did, or that you felt pressured at the time and you told them about it. So even that can be enough to show that there's something else going on beyond a voluntary resignation, if you wanted to use that example, that there has been, for example, something that um, is not voluntary about that, about that uh, situation, that maybe that employee felt pressured because of something that was said, and that they spoke up at the time at the relevant time. And it's not just a backwards-looking um, explanation of what happened. By the way, you still got time to uh, call into the show here. would love to, uh, to get you on, 604-280-9898. Ron, thank you so much for standing by for a moment. How are you this afternoon, sir? Hey, man. Uh, thanks for finally talking to me. Uh, I talked with one of your associates uh, about a year ago, and she said uh, I'd have to dally out uh, all the specifics and uh, – Anybody online could uh, look at it. And I went like, no. <laughs> so uh, what it boils down to is uh, I'm a gardener, okay? And uh, I've worked for two companies concurrently and then exclusively. And they dictate what I do, where I go, how much I charge, Am I an employee? That's an interesting question. I think it, you know, compared to say an independent contractor, which they may try to try be trying to characterize you as, is that the the comparison? 
Oh, yes. They pay no WCB, CPP, anything else. Okay. So, you know, in these types of situations, it's very important, and I think you've kind of picked up on this, that it's it's more about the substance of the relationship that you have with your employer. You know, many times I see uh, employers trying to characterize people that work for them as an independent contractor. They may even have a contract (laughs) that says something along those lines, Um, or you may have like a GST number or something else. But, nope. but the real substance of what the law will look at is where are you getting the majority of your work or your income? And From what's them. the level of control that, yeah, so that's what it sounds the like, The phone right? I'm talking to you on is in the name of the company. <sighs> yeah, so exactly. You, you've totally picked up on another one of those factors that forms part of that legal test. It's it's based on, you know, do they supply you tools? Do they provide you the things that you need to do the job that you do? Um, do you even have the ability to work for anybody else um, during the week? If you don't, there's a p- pretty good indication that you're at the very least a dependent contractor, if not an employee of, of one of these, well, probably both of these companies. All right. Well, uh, uh, the uh, company I'm still working for um, does have a dependent relationship with the previous company. And uh, uh, so occasionally I get this uh, thing on my list that gets faxed to me uh, that says such and such this address, which is the previous company. Uh, they have a dependent relationship. Now, does, so that is there a question of maybe- does that carry forward the relationship with the old company for me as far as severance goes? Yeah, I think that in this situation, what I would want to know is, um, you know, are they working together or was there a sale from one company to the other? That kind of stuff yep. can be found out if we if we know a little bit more, like if we have your pay stubs, for example, or I don't, I, I have no pay your... stubs. What I have are invoices. Hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah, I think in that situation, I would, I would just need to know a little bit more about like the history of the two companies and what happened. Maybe if one took over for another, or if they're still kind of operating as a partnership, it's a pretty good indication that, that, uh, there's going to be, if there's an ongoing relationship that, that, both of them are telling you how to do your job or where to do your job, that they're both going to be considered employers. We just need to do a little bit of due diligence to confirm that that's the case. Okay. But if you're getting instructions from both, then they're both really telling you how to you know what to do and, and how to do your work. Well, yeah, well, that's been the way from uh, day one. Yeah, so so it sounds okay, like so you can I really hold in, both of them responsible. I yeah, would, exactly, I would Ron. That. I think yeah. That, yeah. Uh, just BC in Canada, you can you can check that out online anytime you would like. So we're going to get to a, another phone call. Want to roll down to uh, to Mike? Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, man, go ahead. Um, I have a question. I was terminated, and my letter of termination said no cause. But then they had a staff meeting after I was terminated, in which my employer. Uh, in front of all the all the staff members, told them because they were all upset that I had been terminated and the way I had been terminated, and they were receiving questions. They told them that I was terminated for diff- for three different reasons. Now I didn't know what those reasons were because they didn't tell me. And one of them was that I was 
drinking alcohol on the job, which is completely untrue. And um, so do I have any any repercussions? So can I, what, what can I do to, the, to my employer who, who does this? Wow, that's, yeah, that's really unfortunate. I'm sorry that that happened. So I think what I also would want to know is, did they, after they made these comments to the rest of your former colleagues, did they um, claw back any severance or did they speak to you and say that you are now terminated for cause? Or was it mostly, you know, an incorrect characterization of why you were let go? It was, it was an incorrect character, character what you said. Um, and also, in, in a way, it, 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 it's, it's to sort of give themselves, uh, I don't know, to sort of tell the, the people, listen, this is why we fired them, be quiet, no more questions, that's it, that's the end of the story. But, of course, it got back to me like in minutes that that's what they were saying about me. Now, I haven't been contacted by them at all. I haven't, they haven't changed, they haven't sent me a new letter. They haven't said anything like that. So to me, this is kind of like they're they're ruining my reputation of what I, of the work I did. Regardless, what yeah. So that's did. exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem. And and if it's already gotten back to you, you know, there's a possibility that this could affect your prospects for reemployment, which I think is the big concern. Is you don't want this to now be spread around and affect the affect your your job search. And so if that's the case, then there could be a basis for you to go back to your employer and say, um, the severance that you provided me, if they provide, they're supposed to provide you severance if you've been terminated without cause, you know, potentially that's not going to be appropriate because it's going to take you a lot longer for, uh, to find a job if they're out there spreading this type of information about you improperly. And also there should be, uh, there could be a basis for you to, to, hold them responsible for doing that because that's not uh, that's not an appropriate way to uh, to treat someone after an, a company lets them go. You can't, you know, start spreading false information about them that could affect their ability to find new work. So could I could I um, is there a damages that I can that I can bring up against them or, or anything like that? Yeah, exactly. So you do have options here and, um, you know, it's amazing you're familiar with that term. A lot of people, damages essentially is just, you know, uh, it's a remedy that you have because your rights have been affected. And you're absolutely right. So if you want help with something like that, I mean, feel free to contact me. I'd be happy to look through and, and help you with that type of thing because you're right. It's not, uh, that's not appropriate for an employer to do. Okay. Okay. No, that, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks, Mikey. Appreciate yeah, no uh, appreciate your time and enjoy the rest of your uh, your Sunday afternoon. Thanks for taking the time to to give us a call. Want to reach out to Aliyah? Here is how you do it, my friend. Six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. Just that simple. Six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. Email correspondence as follows: help at employmentlawyer.ca. There you go. Another uh, another guy knows where to go, and that's a phone call with you, Aliyah, afterwards. Uh, still got some time to uh, to ring through if you want to, just like that, 604-280-9898. Want to get back to our uh, how to preserve your workplace rights. So, and, you know, sometimes you've been in a place like that gentleman you were speaking of for 30-plus years, and you know everybody there. It's a good workplace overall. And uh, you kind of like still going into work every day. But the warning, um, as you put it, is don't, quote-unquote, take one for the team at your expense. Expand on that for a minute. 
Yes. So this is another issue that came up a lot, especially with the temporary layoffs during COVID. Mm, so right. particularly with some very kind and generous people out there, you know, they know their coworkers, maybe the opposite of a bullying and harassment scenario, poison work environment. Maybe they, <laughs> they know everybody and they've worked with them for a long time and they go, you know what? I know that my employer wants to introduce these layoffs. I don't mind kind of taking one for the team. I'll agree to the layoff. Other people, they need the work more than me. And maybe I'm the best one that's suited to be laid off right now. Um, but if you feel like you're about to do something like this, you should really just get some legal counsel first because it can have horrible, well, not horrible, but well, pretty bad unintended consequences um, in the sense that your employer now, um, you, you've made it a, a new term of your relationship with them that they're allowed to do this because you're agreeing to it. And so you want to make sure that you're not sort of taking one for the team there because you think maybe it's just this one time thing, but you could be fundamentally altering the type of employment that, you know, you have in the future with this employer because you're making this agreement. We're going to move on to another one, how to preserve your workplace rights. Here we go. Don't forget about your employer when you were off on a medical leave. And that kind of brings about the next question is, well, how often do I have to check in, I guess, right? Yeah. So um, just to like follow up, we were talking about failure to accommodate. A big mm -hmm. part of why that happens is, is when an employer does not know that an employee may be ready to return. And so in more you know, serious injury situations where you're off for maybe months or years and there's not a lot of um, communication between you and your employer, it's, it's always a great idea to send them your updated medical notes and let them know, you know, I'm anticipating on returning to work on this date so that they can make the appropriate um, inquiries to your, your medical professionals and see what kind of accommodation you need, um, if you have any restrictions when you return to work and to performing yeah. some of your previous duties and um, that they're doing everything that they can to accommodate you. Because, you know, say you're an employee and you're on medical leave and you don't tell uh, your employer about your medical status, um, then it's going to be harder to show, say, for example, if this has been, you know, years since you've been back, it's going to be harder to show that your employer should have known what was going on. Um, right. Potentially you get employers who, who who say that, you know, the contract's been frustrated or that it's impossible to continue simply because they haven't heard from you. Want to get to a call, see if we can squeeze another one in here before time uh, elapses for the afternoon. We'll get to uh, to Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for standing by. How are you? Thank you, fellas, uh, madam. The question I have is, I'm calling on behalf of somebody, uh, are healthcare assistants they work in a very dangerous environment, as you know, 65 or 70 percent of all the deaths have happened there. So are they entitled to or in a position to demand hazard pay on top of their regular earnings? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I wonder if there's going to be a comment from our provincial government about this in the context of COVID. Um, it's it's something that uh, is certainly more risky for for those employees and and i know that hazard pay exists for that very reason but i haven't seen any you know direction that um you know that would indicate that that's something that that is available certainly there's nothing that prevents an employee from speaking to their employer about this but we would look for that type of rule to be found under our provincial legislation and uh, which has been updated in the context of COVID, for example, um, 
to address some COVID-related concerns, but I haven't seen anything that's explicitly written to address that issue. Um, although I, I have, uh, I do see the need for that, and I do understand why that is, you know, something that employees would be concerned about. Jimmy, appreciate the uh, the quick phone call there. That's probably the last one we're going to get in for the day, but I want to get to another talking point or two when it comes to how to preserve your workplace rights. And, uh, you know, you're okay with overtime and, and stuff like that, but when it comes to losing your job, do not, don't file a complaint with the Labor Board, right? Yes, and that is because the Labor Board is for unionized employees. Uh, most employees, in fact, all the ones that, I help in my day-to-day -day job are not unionized. Um, and that, uh, union employees, they'll be familiar with having kind of their own process where they can speak to their union rep about issues under their collective agreement. So that's kind of where, where they would go. But everyone else, they, they have the option to seek private counsel or otherwise they would look at the employment standards branch. But But really it's important to, I think, recognize that there's a huge difference between unionized and non-unionized employees and, and what you can do in a situation where you have issues with your employment. And so um, either seeking out counsel just to verify which category do you fall under, or typically people know if they're unionized or not, then then you'll know that you can have the option to seek private counsel um, and not uh, turn to the labor board.